The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Jesus is the Son of God who died for the sins of His people, who was buried and under the power of death for a time, who was raised from the grave the third day, proving the gospel is true and that He is salvation and gives salvation as a free gift to those who turn and trust in Him. But notice what it said in the beginning of the verse. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He's given His Son. To repent. He didn't say to believe. He said to repent. The two are not divorced. But in our day, we, we don't hear much talk about repentance, do we? In a lot of churches, the sermons revolve around the idea that Jesus came primarily to make this life better too. Primarily help you enjoy this life and be more productive in this life. A lot of how-tos and not a lot of talk about sin and judgment and repentance. But the apostles preached a much different gospel. A full gospel, if you will. Who Jesus is, what He has done, what God requires on the basis of what He has done. And the application of that gospel or the response that God expects of His people was conversion, which is the gifts of repentance and faith. Rightly understood, repentance being a fruit of faith, justification by faith alone. But the end of our text, after Peter reports on exactly what has happened to him and exactly what God did to the household of Cornelius, and you, you know, go back and listen to the sermons in chapter 10 explaining and, and dealing with and working in all of that. But after he explains that to them and shows them that really God made no difference between them and the Gentiles. He gave the same gift to them, that he, the, the Gentiles that he gave to them. He baptized the Gentiles in the Spirit. Even as Peter was preaching, they were amazed that God had poured out his Spirit. On the Gentiles. And so then the, 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 the Jewish brothers in Jerusalem to whom he is reporting. It says when they heard these things they fell silent. And they glorified God saying. Then to the Gentiles God has granted repentance. God has granted repentance leading to life. So today we're going to talk about repentance. We're going to talk primarily, like I said, about verse 18. Try to expand upon that a little bit. Um, and see that repentance is a gift of God that transforms us from the inside out. Repentance is a gift from God that transforms us from the inside out. But first, let's talk a little bit about the source of repentance. We'll define it. We'll do, we'll do all of that. Hopefully give you some helpful quotes. 
but the source of repentance. First, before God requires repentance. You saw that in the verse that I quoted. He not only requires it, He commands it. On the basis of the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, the fact that His Son will judge the living and the dead, God commands all people everywhere to repent. So evidently, repentance is still relevant. It's still what we should preach and share because Peter preaches it. They're seeing it in the Gentiles. You see, Paul preaches it. Paul says, sort of summarizing his ministry in Acts 20, 21, he says that he went about testifying both to Jews and Greeks or Gentiles of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sharing the gospel with them and urging them to repent, to turn toward God and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was, a, it was part of Paul's preaching. And throughout the, the, the New Testament, repentance and faith. You hear the word conversion. When we hear the gospel, God calls on us to be converted. That word conversion, it, it encapsulates both faith and repentance. Uh, you've heard it described as two sides of the same coin. The coin of conversion. When, repentance and faith. Thomas Watson used the illustration of a bird. A bird has two wings. and In order for it to fly, it has to have two wings. You ever seen a one-winged bird try to fly? Or an airplane. Think of an airplane. It has to have two wings to fly. Just an illustration. Without, with just one wing, it won't fly. If you just talk about faith, you're preaching a one-wing airplane. But wings of faith and repentance, it flies. Jesus, why were they preaching repentance and talking about repentance? Look at what Jesus said before, after He's resurrected and before He ascended in Luke chapter 24, 46 and 47. He said, Thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That was all in what we call the Old Testament. And fulfilled in Him. Now, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that, watch this. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This is why the apostles are preaching repentance. Because Jesus said that's what should be preached. Many times in Scripture, you'll just see repentance like here. Or in Acts 17, God commands repentance. Well, when, he, when you see repentance, faith is assumed. When you just see faith, repentance is assumed. Because remember, conversion is one thing made up of faith and repentance. And we have a lot of confusion about repentance. I'm going to try to unwind some of that later in the sermon. Jesus said, when He comes on the scene, and John the Baptist had said the same thing, look what Jesus said. He said, the time is filled. Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. No, I am here. Just the right time. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Just a quick sort of explanation. We're going to explain more later. Jesus was not saying, clean up your life and then believe. That's not what he was saying. And we confuse repentance with works. And that's why we get twisted up. And that's why we avoid talking about it sometimes. But he was saying, repent and believe. Turn and trust. Repent and believe. 
So they preached repentance because Jesus said they would and told them to and He did Himself. And why does our text that we're looking at say it was granted? God requires it. But He has to grant it. Why does He have to grant it? It's because we can't do it. We can't do it. We cannot repent any more than... We can change our own hearts. Which is what it's talking about. Deuteronomy 10, 12-14, talking about circumcision of the heart, which was pictured by circumcision of the flesh. It says this, And now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, and to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. God's commands are always for our good. Even when we don't feel like it. So he's calling Israel to turn and obey. That's what the prophets were constantly doing. It's the Old, Old Testament, right? But look in verse 16 of chapter 10. It says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. That cutting away of the flesh pictured cutting away of, of the sinfulness. Of the heart, the stubbornness of the heart. Circumcision in the flesh pointed to a change needed in the heart. The stubbornness that caused rebellion has to be cut away. We all are born into this world with what the scripture calls a heart of stone. What is that picturing? You know you don't have a rock in your chest. Just just stone. stone in relationship to God, totally unresponsive to God. And we in and of ourselves can't change that. The person, Scripture says that when we're born, we're born in sin. We, we lie coming from the womb. It, Paul said we're dead in trespasses. Not Princess Bride, mostly dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Having a heart of stone, unresponsive to God, loving sin. And God says, circumcise your hearts. That's to cast us on Him. Because we know we can't do that. Any more than you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have a bad heart. You need a heart transplant. So go home and here's a no heart. Go home and put this in. You can't transplant your own heart. You can't give yourself a new heart. You need a surgeon to do that. Yeah, me too. You need someone else to take care of the problem of a bad heart. And showing that through the Old Testament and the law and what God called to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the one in whom he, He's at work by His Spirit will say, I cannot do that. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And what God does is deal with that problem. But we first have to recognize we have a problem and that we can't fix it. That's the picture. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't even be good before Christ saves you. Our contribution to salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's it. God grants faith and repentance through the preaching of the gospel about His Son. Life, death, burial, and resurrection. So God grants or gifts repentance then. If He requires it and we can't do it, then He has to fix it. And He does. 
In Romans 2 it says this, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. A lot of confusion by the Jewish people over that, over that sign. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. But Now who's the surgeon? Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter or our attempts to be better and keep the law. And that person's praise is not from man, but God. See, the Spirit with the Word is the one that circumcises our heart, that cuts away the stubbornness, that causes us to turn to God. So since we can't change our heart, God gifts us a new heart. He grants us repentance. He changes us from the inside out. He takes the good news. See, if you know you're in that problem, if you know you have a problem and you can't fix it, if God has convicted you of your sin and you know that what you deserve is condemnation, but you see that there's mercy available in Christ, you cry out to Him to save you. You turn to Him. Away from sin and self and cry out for Him to save you. And He will. He does it as a free gift. It's all from Him. A work of His grace. So in our text then, after hearing the report of how Peter preached the Gospel, the message he was to take, the message by which God would save them, and he goes and he preaches Christ to them. Go back and read in chapter 10 and you can listen to the message. And as he's preaching Christ, Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, the Spirit takes that message and creates life in their hearts so that they turn and trust in Jesus. And it's wildly evidenced by the giving of the Spirit there. Repentance was granted to them. That word means to give. It was given to them by God. He fixed their hearts because they could not. He was at work in them, preparing them and setting up that whole situation so Peter would come and preach the Gospel. And it's the Gospel it is the power of God for salvation because the gospel is the message the Spirit uses to transform our hearts, to work repentance in us and faith in us. And that's what He had done in the Gentiles. God is the source of the repentance. And that's exactly what you see them confessing in verse 18. To the Gentiles, God has granted repentance. That leads to life, eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's talk a little bit about the nature of repentance. Since we can't work it up, it's not works, and we can't change our hearts. God must change our hearts, and He must, just like those Gentiles, grant us repentance through the preaching, teaching, sharing of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation that every, of everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Gentile, Romans chapter 1. What is the nature of repentance? <clears throat> repentance is not a work that we do before we trust Jesus. Repentance is not us cleaning up our life so that we are acceptable and ready to trust Jesus. Repentance is not a work we do before believing. Works, works are, if, if we have repented we will see good works in our lives, but the works are the fruits of repentance. Now, the doctrine of repentance would encapsulate both the change of heart and the change of life. 
But strictly speaking, in the meaning of the word metanoia or the repentance here, it is not speaking primarily about the works. Because I mean, notice, they recognized that God had granted repentance to the Gentiles. The Gentiles hadn't done anything yet other than believe and receive the Spirit. And they're saying, wow, repentance unto life, even in the Gentiles. But the works that we do are the fruits of repentance. Acts 26.20, Paul says what he was declaring. He says, uh, I'm inserting I. I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the whole region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. Now look at this. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. See, the works or the deeds are what flow out of true repentance. The fruits produced by true repentance. The deeds in keeping what John the Baptist, if you want to go look at Luke chapter 3, verse 8, called the fruits of repentance. What the, what the root produces. The root being repentance. The fruit being the works. Jews said that God had granted granted repentance to Cornelius and his household. They haven't done any works yet, but believe. They didn't confuse repentance with works, but they saw what repentance really is and how it produces a change of life. They knew that. They've been taught that. Repentance is a change of heart and mind. It's a change of thinking. The word here for repentance in our verse means change of mind or heart leading to a change of behavior. You know, I mean, think about it. If we're born with a heart of stone and that manifests itself in rebellion against God, when God transplants our heart and gives us a heart of flesh, picturing a heart that's responsive to Him, we are going to behave differently. But that behaving differently is a result of that change that has occurred. Gone from death to life. Stony heart to heart of flesh. Not repenting to repenting. But repentance is a change of the core of our being. For the Hebrew, there's no difference between heart and mind. Center core of our being. Remember the proverb. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We, We tend to separate heart from head and think of this as the emotion and this is the thinking. But the change of heart being referred to is a change of the way we think leading to a change of behavior. When God grants repentance, we think differently. We love differently. We desire differently. Our our thinking and our loving and our desiring becomes lined up with God's Word and God's commandments. And certainly you see a difference in the life. Let me give you a couple of quotes that may help with this. Um, and I have slides for it. But John Murray, uh, used greatly by God in the, in the founding of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You know, the, the church was going liberal and all of that. I'll leave you to read about John Murray. But um, repentance, he says this. Repentance consists essentially in a change of heart and mind and will. The change of heart and mind and will principally respects four things. It is a change of mind respecting God ourselves, sin, and righteousness. When God grants repentance, we think differently about God. And therefore, about ourselves. And about sin and righteousness. He transforms the way we think. He transforms our heart. 
Um, J.I. Packer put it this way. The New Testament word for repentance means changing one's mind so that one's views, values, goals, and ways are changed and one's whole life is lived differently. But notice that life lived differently is flowing out of a change of heart and mind. So it's a, it's a radical change in the core of your being. It's what the Scripture calls getting a new heart. A new heart that, that loves God, replacing the old heart that hated God. And remember, love of God is not a feeling. It's an, it's, we, dim, we love God by joyfully keeping His commandments. And we hate Him by not. Ezekiel put it this way, and he diagnoses the problem of Israel, and he says what God's going to do about it in the New Covenant. Look at this in Ezekiel 36, 26-27. I will give you a new heart. I will be the surgeon. I will replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh, a living heart, a responsive heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the, the outflow of the new heart and having the Spirit, the outflow of God granting repentance so that our mind-heart is changed, the core of us is changed, so that we think differently, we think in line with God's Word, then the outflow of that is walking in His ways and being careful to obey His rules. And we know we grow in that. We're not glorified as soon as we're converted. Progressive growth. But there is an initial change and that is called repentance. And then repentance becomes a life lifestyle for the Christian. Putting sin to death. Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 87. I've quoted this before, but it's very helpful. What is So what they said they've been granted is repentance that leads to life. So the catechism asks, what is repentance unto life? Answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Stop. God works it in us. It is a work of grace. It's not something we work up and earn. The God who grants justification in Christ also grants sanctification in Christ. So, repentance is a saving grace whereby a sinner, now watch this, out of a true sense of his sin, see he's beginning to think differently about sin and see it as wicked and ugly and to be turned from, dishonoring to God. So out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. See, the gospel has been preached. So that now this person, there's faith being mentioned. He's, he's, he's looking to Christ and, and he has conviction of his sin. It says, out of a true sense of sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it to God. With full purpose, now notice the ongoing nature of this. With full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. We want to walk with Christ and for Christ because He's changed our heart. He's convicted us of sin. He's shown us His mercy available in Christ. We turn and trust in Jesus out of love for Him and hatred for sin. We turn to God and strive to glorify Him. I guess the true question, has God worked in you to hate sin? It's one of the things He changes about the way we think. 
Because we're born loving it, rationalizing it, justifying it. Yes, we will take fire insurance from Jesus. We all want to go to heaven, but don't mess with my life. I don't want to go to hell. Nobody does. But until God has granted us repentance, we don't love him and turn from sin to him and hate sin and want to be free of it. That's a work God does. We trust in the mercy of God in Christ. Hate our sin. Seek to turn from it. Four essentials of true repentance. Man, and I can only tell my testimony, my experience, because I'm the, that's the only experience I've ever had. But I remember that change. And I, I, it freaked me out. I didn't really know what was going on. Being convicted by my language and by my lifestyle and, you know, and seeing in the Word. Christ died for my sins and being turned from loving that to desiring Him and His salvation. So repentance is a change of the direction of your soul from rebelling against God and wanting nothing. Yeah, we want His benefits, but we don't want Him ruling our life to turning to Him in grief over our sin and love and trust of Christ and receiving His salvation. But the first essential of a true repentance is conviction of sin and sin as the word defines it. I mean, we'll all agree that murder is sin, I hope. But the word says that when we're angry with our brother without cause, we commit murder in our hearts. Jesus said that. When we look on a woman or a man with lust in our hearts, we commit adultery. We begin to let the word define what sin is. Because listen, we are masters at, at, at denial. At justification. At rationalization. Well, this, this is a hard part of my life. So this is what I, this is okay for me to pursue this sinful whatever it is. If there's no conviction of sin, there's no repentance. If there's no conviction of sin in your life, you don't know Jesus. I don't know how to be any plainer than that. Has God worked in you to hate sin and want to be free of it? Now, we won't be fully free of the practice of it until we're glorified. So there's a conviction of sin that comes when God is granting repentance, when He's working repentance in our hearts. There's Secondly, there's a godly sorrow. A remorse over dishonoring God. What the old timers call contrition. Contrition is a sorrow that I've offended God. And a false repentance will have sorrow, but it's sorrow over the consequences. Maybe of getting caught or the trouble that it causes in my life. But a true repentance is marked by sorrow that I've offended God who has done so much for me. Who has sacrificed His Son for me. And there's so much attrition left in my life when I, right? But hopefully there's some godly sorrow. It's remorse over dishonoring such a gracious and loving and merciful God. So essentials of repentance are 
remor- uh, conviction of sin and grief over dishonoring God. Thirdly, reverent request for pardon through Christ. See, the, the definition in the shorter cat, we, we, we apprehend, we come to know the mercy of God that's available in Jesus and we look to Him and through Him for forgiveness and cleansing. There's a reverent request. Think about the tax collector who wouldn't even lift his eyes. God, beat his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's a reverent request for that mercy. So conviction of sin, believing that Christ is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, He was buried, that He was raised from the grave. If God is working in you to grant repentance to you, He's not only convicting you of sin and producing godly sorrow in your heart, He's convincing you of the Gospel. That Christ is the Son of God who died for us, who was buried and who was raised from the grave. He's alive. He's ascended. He's reigning the right hand, the power of the, the place of authority. He's coming again. He's not a dead savior. He's not one of many options. He's the only way to salvation. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's a reverent request for pardon through Christ. You look to Christ. As Spurgeon said, he wasn't converted until he looked to Christ. He believed in Christ. He rested in Christ's life, in Christ's sacrifice, in the fact that he was raised from the grave for him. So there's conviction of sin. There's remorse over dishonoring God. There's reverent request for pardon. And then there's resolute renunciation or turning away from sin. The hatred of sin that we've mentioned. Romans 8, 12 to 13 says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now watch this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And that's not just talking about physical death. Spiritual death, separation from God, hell. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The one that God has brought to repentance who thinks differently about God. He is to be sought and He is gracious and merciful. He's provided salvation in His Son. Sin is ugly and heinous and to be rejected and turned from. God causes us to not only turn to Christ and trust in Christ, but to be living in the context of that gospel every day. Eyes, heaven, hearts fixed in heaven so that we're as Colossians 3. Go read Colossians and read Colossians 3. Since Christ is raised, since you are raised with Him, since you are forgiven, then be putting to death the deeds of the body. And it gives us list of sin. If by the Spirit, see it's not you and you're gutting it out. The Spirit, you're submitting to the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. You're agreeing with the Word and seeking to put to death the deeds of the body. He said that's a sign of repentance unto life. See it says you will live repentance unto life. Chapter 11 verse 18. God has granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. What did they see in them? Their minds changed. Their hearts changed. They came to faith in Jesus and were Filled with His Spirit. So in order to go from unbelief to belief, there has to be a repentant heart that turns from love of self and sin to love of God and submission to His Word and His Gospel and trusting in His Son. And that heart will have a hatred of sin. Has God worked in you to hate sin? Yes, I hate it. 
Are you fighting against it? Not with legalism, but in His grace. Or are you justifying it? We're really good at justifying it. After all, Christ died for sinners. I like sinning and God likes forgiving. A pretty good arrangement. Not gospel. Jesus Christ. Just think about this for a minute before we conclude. Jesus Christ is the only one ever born who needed no repentance. The rest of us are commanded to repent. To turn to God and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we reject that, we'll answer for our sin by ourselves, And be judged by the law. And have you kept the law in thought, word, and deed from cradle to grave? No, you didn't even start there. Jesus is the only one who never needed any repentance. He came at just the right time, Galatians 4.4 4 says, in order to save His people. He was born in a low estate. He came as a humble servant. He wasn't born in a castle. He was laid in a feed trough. He came to live under His own law and fulfill all righteousness for His people. And He was blessed and righteous and deserved, deserved only blessing. The scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he died on the cross. Why did he go to the cross? The primary reason was to suffer the condemnation that you and I deserve. Who would trust in him. He took hell upon himself on that cross. Not just the nails. Not just the beating. Not just all of the physical torture. As horrible as that was. He took and drank to completion the wrath of God. And that's what he was talking about when he said it is finished. Justice had been satisfied for all of his people. So that salvation for us can be a free gift. Because he's paid it all. And the gospel is proved true because he rose from the dead on the third day. There's only one risen Savior, and that's Jesus. He's the only one who didn't need any repentance, but He took our sin and paid the penalty for it and purchased for us a full salvation which includes both faith and repentance. Has your heart been changed? You go from... To, it's been changed to a heart that loves God, that loves the Word, that loves and trusts Jesus and strongly desires to obey Him, that hates sin. What did Jesus say? He said, if you love Me, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. That wasn't a threat. I don't think there was a scowl on His face. It's just a statement of fact because love is obedience. First John, I'm not making that up. Go read First John. He said, if, if you love me, it will be your joy to obey me. For John, that's John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What produces love in our hearts for Jesus? A long list of do's and don'ts that we can't fulfill. Trying to gut it out and keep the commandments so that it would be good enough to be saved. No, the fact that we come to know that He came to save us. That He lived for us and fulfilled the law for us. That He died and paid the penalty for our sins. Our sins. My sins. I mean, do you personalize that? 
my evil looks, my evil thoughts, my evil words, my evil deeds. Christ died for me. He suffered for me. How can I not love him? How can I just willy-nilly be part of driving those nails? How can I not hate sin? There is no such thing as a salvation that doesn't produce or include repentance and faith. A changed heart, therefore a changed life. True repentance begins, listen to me carefully, true repentance begins when you're converted. Just like faith. You don't just trust Jesus one time and then stop trusting Jesus, right? We don't just repent one time and quit repenting. It's, it's a new heart. A new heart that loves God. A new heart that wants to live for Him. A new heart that hates sin. Therefore is, is by grace convicted of it and seeking to, be, to turn from it. And to trust Jesus and to love Him and to live for Him. True repentance is lifelong. The Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. The truth about you is you are a new creation if you are trusting in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Someday we'll be free from the sin that remains. We will have a new body. We will not even think about sin and desire sin anymore. But we are in Christ Jesus right now. Saints forgiven and dwelt by Christ by His Spirit. We have the Word of God so that we might live out what we really are. His new creation in Him. Battle in grace to put sin to death in the rest of your life. Are you in the battle? Are you justifying sin? Thinking it's no big deal. Or are you in the battle? Is Jesus just fire insurance for you? Or do you love him? Jesus didn't die to make it okay for you to play with sin. Jesus didn't die to justify my sin. Jesus didn't die to make me casual about sin. He died, one of the reasons he died is so that I can see sin as it really is. The enemy that it really is. The ugliness of it. The offense against him. And the fruit that it bears in my life, which is death, destruction. And what it deserves is wrath and condemnation. Start treating sin like a rattlesnake. And no, we're not a church, a snake handling church. That's crazy. God didn't tell people to do that. He died to set you free from its lies and its captivity. From its penalty and its power over you. And eventually its presence. He died to change your heart so that you hate sin now and love Him. Is that true of you? I 
I see so many people that want to dance as close to the hole of sin as they can. Are they justified? Or they're just not really thinking about it. They claim to be believers, but they're not in the word. They're not walking in fellowship with him. They're, they're not in prayer. They're, 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 they're living practically as though there is no God. And then trouble comes. And what's happening? I go to church on Sunday. Well, cool. Are you in his word? Are you walking in intimate relationship with him? Has he changed your heart so that you hate sin and love him? Are you, as Romans 8 said, putting to death the deeds of the body by the spirit or Colossians 3, mortifying the sinfulness that remains by grace in him, free forgiveness? Dwelling in the position that is yours, fully accepted, justified, declared righteous in Christ, empowered by the same Spirit. You have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that created and sustains the universe. You have the very Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. His Word, your Word is truth. Peter says you have everything necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him and His precious promises. I'm not asking you if you're perfect. None of us are. But if God's at work in us, we, we have sorrow over offending God. We're convicted of our sins. We love and trust Jesus and we are fighting against sin, not seeking to pet it and tame it. Sin's not a poodle. It's a serpent and it will eat you. Wages of... There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. It's all a work of grace. This is what God works in us. It's nothing we deserve. We're not earning anything. It's His gift. It's purchased by Christ. 100% of your forgiveness is on the basis of Christ. It's not based on your efforts. It's in His strength, for His glory. By His Spirit. With the Word of God. Listen how Peter said it. Peter in 1 Peter 1. 13-16. Therefore preparing your minds for action. And being sober minded. What does that mean? Sober minded is thinking rightly. Right? Minds prepared for action. Being transformed by the Word of God. Romans 12.1 and 2. He said, now watch this. If, I, if I'm thinking rightly, this is true of me. One, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So my hope for forgiveness and acceptance and eternal life in heaven is 100% the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now watch, here's the different life flowing out of that repentance that's been granted. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance before Christ. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you want to know what holiness in flesh looks like, read the Gospels. Second Adam, Jesus Christ, our Savior, lived in perfect fulfillment of the law. And as you read the Gospels, you see what holiness looks like. 
So Peter says two things. Hope fully in the grace of God in Christ. You can't earn his salvation. And as you're his children through faith. So as his children, I mean, come on, dads. Kids want to be like you, right? Be like a child. You are a child. Want to be like your father who is holy. In other words, love God. Trust Jesus. Love him. Love God. Walk accord with his word. When we are in awe of his grace... It produces a love for Him and His righteousness and righteous law. And when we love Him more than our sin, we obey Him joyfully. We'll clarify this one more time. We are not saved by what we do. We're not accepted by God based on what we do. If you are going to be saved, if you're going to be accepted by God, it'll be through faith in Jesus Christ who has fully purchased your salvation through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. But when he saves you, he not only gives you forgiveness, but he gives you a new heart, his spirit dwelling within you that causes you to love his word and hate sin and grow in grace. What does that mean? Growing in grace is growing in my knowledge and walking in the truth of his grace to me in Christ and seeking by the power of the spirit to put the deeds of the body to death. See, they had seen that process begin in Cornelius and his house. God was saving and had had justified them who had believed in Jesus. And so as with their mouths hanging open, they said, wow. To the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's the same salvation He's granted to you if you're trusting, really trusting, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Both repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because of His grace and because of His gospel, because of the fact that Christ lived for us, He died for us, He was buried, He was raised from the grave, we are fully forgiven through faith, even weak, feeble faith in Him. It causes us to love Him and want to live for Him. That is repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand Your Word. Help us to live in light of Your Word. Help us to love You, our gracious and merciful and long-suffering and forgiving God. To walk in accord with Your Word by the power of Your Spirit with our hearts fixed on Jesus. To trust You, to rest in You, to love You in Your grace. And to love You by our lives. May our lives bear the fruits of repentance. The fruit of a changed heart. A circumcised heart. A new heart. The fruit of the Spirit living within us. Lord if we don't hate sin. We don't know you. And yet as your children. We don't hate it perfectly. We need you every day. Help us to be confessing our sins. Because we know that if we say we're without sin, we, the truth's not in us and we were deceived. Help us to be trusting in your mercy and promises. Help us to see your throne as a throne of grace that we can run to and be forgiven and refreshed and empowered to live in the new life 
that his life lived out of love for Jesus in joyful imitation to, of him. Lord, I pray for those who, who, who may not know you that you would indeed grant them conversion. That they would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us who know you, help us to be refreshed and renewed and are both hoping fully in your grace and seeking in your strength to live for your glory. Grow us in repentance. Grow us in faith. Help us to not only walk personally with you, but to encourage one another in our walk with you and then to take this gospel out to those who don't know you that they too might have hope and life and forgiveness and rest and trust in Jesus. Have a new heart. Have repentance. What this verse calls repentance that leads to life. Lord, we praise you and thank you this morning. Don't let us forget these things. Help us to remember and meditate upon what it means to truly be saved. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.